is the MoneyWeb Be a Better Investor podcast, picking the brains of professional investors on their investment strategies, successes, and mistakes. Your host, Rake Fanika. Welcome to this week's edition of the Be a Better Investor podcast. It's a podcast where I speak to professional investors about the investment journeys and why they pursued a career in managing other people's money. We also peek into their personal investment portfolios and discuss their best and worst investments ever. And the idea is to find those golden nuggets of wisdom from their perspectives and experiences to assist amateur retail investors to become better investors. My guest today is Luciano Bernardi. He is a portfolio and wealth manager at the Efficient Group, he holds a postgraduate qualification in financial planning from the University of the Free State, and he is a registered certified financial planner. He started his career in financial planning in 2004 at APSA and has obtained numerous platinum awards during his career with APSA. And he has also been nominated as Wealth Manager of the Year for, for the past nine consecutive years since joining the Efficient Group in 2011. Luciano, thank you so much for joining me today. What is a platinum award? What do you need to achieve to be a platinum advisor? Thank you very much for the opportunity, first of all, if I could start there. So, um, so a platinum award is, uh, is one of those awards that you get presented with uh, by your peers and by the corporate that you represent. You know, obviously, with regards to business allocated and your level of advice that you provide clients with. And a Wealth Manager of the Year, it seems to be a very prestigious nomination. What do you need to do to be nominated? Yeah, so it's very similar throughout the market. So obviously, with regards to the standards that we try to uphold the deficient, it's an award that we all strive to uh, obtain. So production and business that, that one allocates uh, towards you know, advising clients and addressing clients' needs is obviously predominant. And then obviously the level of service, once again, that you offer uh, to our valued clients is relevant. So, so it has nothing to do with performance? Well, in terms of market performance. Yes. In terms of the underlying asset performance, absolutely. So, so obviously the contributing factor to the performance, um, you know, our fees are, are usually linked to the performance of our clients you know, on, a, on a wealth basis. You know, if we generate upside for clients, obviously that links to to the production levels that we that we generate domestically. So definitely, if we if we don't generate upside and performance for our clients, unfortunately, you know, it negatively affects our bottom line as well. Let's talk about your background. Where did you grow up, and when did you decide you want a career in the financial advice business? So I grew up in Pretoria, in the northern suburbs of Pretoria, to be honest. And um, we, uh, I always was interested in, in finances. I, um, after school, decided to, to take a bit of a break, one of those uh, working holidays in, in the UK. And uh, upon my return, I, I, was, um, I was set to start a degree in uh, BCom Investment Management at the University of Pretoria, where after I got given an opportunity to, to start my career at APSA. And sort of parallel to that, I then obtained a, a BCom equivalent degree from ENISA and a few other supplements. And we then proceeded to enroll for the financial planning, well, the diploma in, for the postgraduate diploma in financial planning in, in 2008 and obtained that right thereafter. But I always had an interest in finances and portfolio management specifically. Absent just gave me the opportunity to, to sort of fast track that when I started working for them. So what was your very first share you bought in your personal capacity and how old were you when you made that trade? Well, we bought a few shares. That's all was... Uh, Speaking to some of the elderly folk um, that we saw as potential uh, mentors at that stage, 
we try to obtain as much as possible advice. So there's there's various shares that we bought, one being Sassol and, and a few other fundamentals. But um, yeah, that was uh, Sassol was definitely my first share um, that I bought. And how old were you when you bought it? 18 years old. And did you do any financial analysis on the company before you actually put money on the table? So, Rank, as I said, at, at that stage, we were sort of led by people that we valued the opinions of, that I valued opinions of. And uh, we sort of followed their advice and, and recommendations. And based on that, I, uh, I made the decision to take certain positions at a young age prior to doing any analysis. At that point, to be honest, I didn't necessarily have the technical ability to analyze anything specifically. So we went out on advice, if you want to call it that, from mentors. But you've been in the industry now for, for many, many years. Uh, do you still make use of mentors and other people's opinions when you make the investment decisions? Without a doubt. I think that's something that I find imperative in my approach. So we obviously do a lot of reading and uh, specific individuals that we catch up with in order to obtain a more realistic view. So I don't think um, it's a responsible approach to try and make any investment decisions on your own. One has to, especially in the current market environment where information is so freely available, one has to tap into other expertise and people that you can learn from. But you also analyze the financial performance of a company because many portfolio managers only base their investment decisions on the financial performance of a company and the future prospects. They prefer not to be influenced by other people's perceptions and they try to ignore any noise in the market. I think there's obviously factors that one has to consider when, when deciding to take positions in any, any entity or, or share or any asset, to be honest. People, processes, philosophy, all of that becomes extremely relevant. So the numbers are extremely important from a quantitative and qualitative perspective, but one has to consider how the external factors as well to a certain extent. Um, we don't necessarily always see it as noise. You should understand what the noise really means and sort of filter through that as well in my view. So do you have a personal investment portfolio which is not linked to the portfolios you manage on behalf of clients? We, yeah, we always have a portfolio that we run on the side in our personal capacity, so I definitely do. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting. You referred to risk earlier. Do you have a different risk appetite and risk profile attached to your portfolio than to the professional portfolios you manage, which in many cases uh, represent the retirement savings of individual and your performance will impact the level of luxury they would be able to retire in one day? Look, I think we, uh, relative to, uh, to one's age, I think there is a difference um, depending on where you are in your life cycle. So at the moment, my personal portfolio is, is obviously overweight, tilted to, to a growth asset sort of approach. Um, and in that sense, I would argue that my risk appetite is slightly higher at the, at the moment to the general client that we advise. Can you name a few shares which form the core of your portfolio? Yeah, correct. So we've got a basket of shares. So without isolating anything specifically in South Africa, there's a few fundamentals that we hold in our beloved Naspash and, and, and a few more of those. We hold in our personal capacity still. And um, offshore, obviously, there's a, you know, I kind of like the, well, basically current valuation myself. So I'm quite tech heavy. And I think that they, they're relative to my risk appetite and, and just my logic behind it and the way I interpret it. I believe in my personal capacity, it makes sense. Can you name a few of the, the shares or investments in your portfolio which forms a core of that portfolio? 
Yeah, so Rake, I think the majority of our capital, my capital specifically, we try to practice what we preach. So the majority of my capital is invested abroad in various structures and, and so forth. The diversified share portfolio is, is sort of my approach. You know, if I could refer to the core of my portfolio, that would predominantly be overweight tilted towards um, tech stocks in the international environment, which obviously was obtained at levels that made sense. You know, not necessarily, uh, you know, bought over the last cycle, but maybe adjusted slightly during these cycles that of volatility that we experienced. The local portfolio is fairly light, obviously, with regards to, to pension funds. So I don't necessarily hold overweight positions or relative or relevant uh, portfolios in South Africa, apart from pension funds or retirement annuities, rather. And in those, it's obviously wrapped up in, in various uh, model portfolios with correlated portfolios that's built into it. Now, tell us, what has been your best investment ever? The one that has made you the most money? <laughs> I think um, when we got the timing right in the currency, based on based on uh, the fluctuation in uh, in 2020, we we took a, a fairly fairly um, calculated risk in terms of position on a fairly strong value in the rand, and we bought a, a you know a share portfolio or a basket thereof at a low price, and that's come back quite nicely. So um, that's been a good investment for us. And the worst one, Rake, around the same time we well. A maturity date around the same time, <laughs> apart from the coins, which we're not going to go into too much detail on <laughs> now. But, um, but you know, the worst investment, I would say, is I had a vested investment in one of those five-year tranches that, uh, that vested on the 27th of March, 2020. And I don't know whether you recall that date and what happened in the markets, but that vesting date really correlated well with the bottom of the market, which means at that point that we took a, quite a bit of a haircut. In terms of performance, what is a tranche? Tranche is a five-year derivative solution that the clients move into at a fixed termination date. So, so you buy a product, a financial product that's got a term linked to it, five years usually. You buy it at a specific uh, strike price, and then it releases on a specific term, usually on month sixty. That tranche vests, and then your capital is exited from the tranche. So it means in, in normal circumstances, we invested in a share portfolio or in a trust portfolio or any other assets that has a growth nature. When the markets pull back, you have the ability to remain invested in those positions and wait for a, a level of recovery to take place. In those tranches, unfortunately, it uh, does not allow you to remain invested. So you have to liquidate, you know, whether it's at the bottom or the top. And unfortunately, due to the timing on that specific tranche, we were very unlucky in terms of the timing and had to release the tranche at the bottom. How much do you like derivative products? Look, I mean, a, a derivative is a, is a very technical solution for clients, I, you know, specifically. So I would only use derivative solutions in a, in a very specific environment. I'm not necessarily a fan per se, but when, when it comes to building blocks, I think that, you know, it does make sense in different market conditions for, for clients to consider different solutions. And um, there is definitely a place for it. But one has to definitely understand exactly what it is that you move into, as I've explained earlier. And hedge funds, do you look at those at all? Yeah, so we, we do at Efficient manage quite a bit of a hedge fund portfolio by our Navigo business, which I'm not directly involved in. Um, and we are busy, you know, considering the rollout of that for, for clients. Um, so there is definitely a place for hedge funds, I would think. Once again, one is to just understand exactly what it is that you move into and understand the impact of those positions relative to the other assets uh, that you hold in a, in a portfolio. But there's a common perception that derivative products and many hedge funds are very, very risky and it's boom or bust. Uh, do you share that view? Yeah, look, I think some of these derivatives specifically, 
there is some protection, some levels of protection, and the same goes for hedge funds. I think there are there are protection built into some of the solutions. That's why I say, you know, it's imperative to understand and do your what we refer to as as institutional risk analysis, you know, understand who it is that manages those assets and understand their people, processes, philosophy and the like. But your hedge funds and derivatives definitely have an increased risk profile without any form of a doubt. Um, But there are ways and means of mitigating that risk to a certain extent. So pension fund capital, I wouldn't necessarily go into an overweight position depending on on other assets in a portfolio that uh, that plays a role as a building block. Now, many people also have a personal portfolio on the side in addition to their retirement savings. Do you deal with many of these individuals and, and do they ask your advice regarding potential investments? Yeah, so I think what is important for me as a wealth manager is, is to understand holistically, one, you know, how client interpretation of the investment environment. It's, it's imperative to to have a good feel for, for your client's risk appetite. And often when you speak to a client with regards to any specific investment, you, you obtain limited information. So in my view, it's imperative to look at a client's portfolio more holistically and use all building blocks as part of the analysis process. And that includes you know, assets that you wouldn't necessarily manage on behalf of the client. So a lot of our clients have portfolios that they prefer managing themselves. It might be inherited or anything to that nature. Uh, and it's accumulated over time and they feel that there's an emotional attachment to that capital. And I, I totally respect that into the portfolio. I think what's important though is, and why I advise clients just to include that in the process is obviously due to, especially in the South African environment, where a client's portfolio is invested overly in a South African context, you know, it might be, you know, there might be some duplicates and mm-hmm. over diversification that, that plays a role. So one has to understand the positions in other investments of a client in order to advise him accordingly on what the requirements are on the new capital. Are there typical mistakes you have identified these people make? Well, I don't want to generalize here, but I think my experience is that when clients manage capital themselves, it's quite a sophisticated process to analyze some of these positions. So if it's a buy and hold position and clients you know, have the ability to wait it out, it, it's one thing. And if they buy quality stocks, it's another thing. But um, what's imperative here is that, you know, that behavior gap, when markets turn against you, what do you do? And, and how solid are your positions then? And, and how do you react? I think that's where I find my cell phone's battery only lasts until around about nine o'clock in the morning. You know, when markets turn volatile and, and they're managing their own portfolios, they contact you with regards to those positions that, that you don't necessarily have control over. And that's where the behavior really plays a role. You know, that's what we refer to as the behavior gap, where the emotion sort of drives the investment decision rather than the fundamentals and principles. That's an interesting uh, dynamic. When markets go down, people become emotional or most retail investors tend to become emotional but how do you decide when to exit a share that has seen a significant drawdown in a short period of time look right one has to understand what drives that share to move into negative territory and there's a lot that one has to consider when you make that decision so we have definitely sold off shares in a in a declining market uh, where we feel that you know there's no chance of the share recovering due to for instance corruption and malmanagement and, and so forth so if there's no chance for such a share to recover within reasonable time, then we would definitely consider moving out of such a share, even if we do realize a loss. 
um, when we manage portfolios. That is a big thing. You only realize a loss when you sell it. But it's, it's a difficult decision. And I, I don't think there's a right or wrong because uh, there needs to be a buyer for that share at that price. And obviously, that buyer expects the share to, to rise. Do you think normal amateur retail investors get that right more often than not? Unfortunately, I don't think people necessarily get it right. You know, so a lot of asset managers make mistakes in that regard as well because you need to make certain decisions relative to your interpretation at that point because the data is then not necessarily the only driver that one should measure. So then you make certain decisions based on emotion and, and that sometimes you get wrong and sometimes you get it right. You know, Sometimes we've had discussions where we really wanted to exit positions and some of the stakeholders in our, in our position would have advised against that. And that sometimes worked for a slight recovery and then we decided and reconsidered the position and, and maybe exited at a later stage. Um, but yeah, we also have definitely gotten that wrong. And I guess the same goes for, for any asset manager and client out there. So what advice would you have for a retail investor to be, become a better investor? Greg, I think a client, you know, it's a technical environment. There's a lot of detail and, and information available. But my interpretation is that often there's too much detail and, and one can overanalyze um, investment decisions as well. So obviously try and benchmark and try and soundboard and, and maybe have a discussion with professional wealth managers to, to just understand what it is that you're doing and, and how... You could possibly build a portfolio to possibly hedge your positions. It's not to say that that you need to appoint someone to manage your total portfolio for you, but you can definitely consider appointing a team to manage a portion of your portfolio that sort of just oversees to a certain extent on a non-discretionary basis your personal capital. So obtain as much as possible advice, read up and try to understand exactly what it is that you move into. So what you're saying is that if you manage your own personal portfolio, you also need to get some advice from professionals. It can be dangerous if you go it alone. Yeah, without any form of a doubt. I think that we appoint a, a team of people. And when I say we, I think I refer to the industry in that context. I don't want to isolate any specific company here. But I think, you know, a professional advisory business appoint professional people to, at a full time, um, analyze what's going on in the market, you know, from geopolitical risks and the like and asset valuations and, and so forth. So so there's so much detail that one has to analyze in order to build a portfolio that is sustainable over time. You know, it's imperative to consider that when you make investment decisions rather than just, you know, shooting in the dark. You know, one might have a feel I've had clients that bought very good positions in very good assets, uh, you know, without advice. And that also happens. But, um, you know, that's definitely the lesser of the positive cases. Yeah, the exception to the rule. But Luciano, thank you so much for your time today and thank you for sharing your insights. Only a pleasure, Rake. That was Luciano Bernardi. He's a portfolio and wealth manager at The Efficient Group. Show me the money. This is the MoneyWeb Be a Better Investor podcast. Picking the brains of professional investors on their investment strategies, successes, and mistakes. Your host, Rake Fanica. Thank you.